When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Oppen. Uh, Adjust Your Tracking is part of the Playlist Podcast Network. You can find all of our episodes and uh, episodes of our other shows on the network at theplaylist.net. Just click on the podcast tab right there on the main page. All right, so house cleaning's out of the way, Joe. Uh, here we are. We're in 2019, but we're still kind of looking back at last year, aren't we, a little bit? Yeah, it won't let go of us. We still have some some 2019 cleanup to do with two titles that were, you know, big big sort of uh, contenders for award season. Um, Cold War and Destroyer, the new movie by Karen Kusama. Uh, what's the director of Cold War? Is <laughs> uh, a Polish director named Pavel Pawlkowski. Okay. Um, so yeah, this whole yeah. cold war was initially going to be discussed in tandem with if Beale street could talk, which we covered on the best of the year mm-hmm. podcast last week. Um, and those two like really kind of would have complemented each other still do. If you want to do like a double feature, if you're at an art house and you want to hop from one movie to the next pay for both, please though. Don't, don't yes. assume that you can just run right into the next theater. <laughs> be responsible. We're all adults here. It's true. Um, so those those two movies were like period pieces, both dealing with uh, unrequited love in a time of kind of social upheaval and unrest and, you know, both dealing with incarceration at some point. Spoiler alert. And um, uh, but, you know, they're both beautifully shot. You know, what What were some other correlations between Cold War and Beale Street? Uh, they're sort of like each movie has a uh, their sort of social, but also their um, be it their state or their country's sort of, uh, you know, like their 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 historical backdrop things going on. Yeah. Uh, Cold War especially really leans into that. You, you get a whole decades and decades worth of um, history in the background of this relationship, for sure. I, I will be uh, a jerk and, and correct you. I would say neither film deals with unrequited love because Beale Street is 100% a love story in my in my mind, but Cold War maybe maybe a little bit more or more of like a uh, a volatile love, maybe. Um, more yeah, it's, than... re- it's requited, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they love each other in Beale Street, but uh, Cold War, it is it is a lot more um, dicey, but no, in, you know, both films are dramatic. Right, yeah, there, there, there's less of a sort of romantic hue, like the, the romantic hue that's cast in the scenes where the couple is allowed to be together in Beale Street before they're sort of torn apart. Um, is is definitely there? There's a purity to their love, to their admiration for each other, but it's it's really thorny in Cold War. Um, when we initially plotted the episode discussing those two movies, which inevitably had to be reconfigured, so because of scheduling, um, like I thought 
my any apprehension I had about Cold War would have been softened by my adoration of Beale Street. And because the two complement each other so well, I, I definitely probably would have like been soft on the movie. Right. But I think like I don't know that like in in laying out a claim for Cold War and the sort of positive attributes to the movie, I don't really like I don't have a case for like not suggesting this film. Like, I think it's beautiful. And I think it's like a a world that you can definitely get lost in. And it's an interesting story. One that like, I feel like hasn't been told before in terms of, you know, the, the differences between the two films in terms of like what you pointed out and calling me, you know, calling me into question with using the term unrequited love. (laughs) It's out. You're right. Cause like, it's a it's a much like muddier despite the circumstances in Beale Street themselves being complicated, the actual dynamic between the two leads and Cold War is complicated. Like you have two volatile personalities who don't know how to essentially make it work. And then they're in the context of this turbulent world. So everything just feels kind of like weirdly doomed between the two, despite being kind of helplessly drawn back to each other throughout like years and years. So like, it's, it's a really sort of like new, like there's, you know, I mean, we've seen troubled relationships before between people who don't know how to make it work, but are still drawn back together. But like this, this just felt kind of like epic in its scope, despite being pretty like pretty brief, like in terms of running time, like it's under 90 minutes. Um, and, uh, yeah, like it's it's one that despite feeling like it's a little long-winded feeling somehow despite the brevity of its running time, <laughs> but like I I can't really not recommend it because it's just like the craft is all there, the sort of epic scope of the movie is all there mm-hmm. and the the performances inside of what feels like a mannered epic movie are really kind of bursting with life yeah well maybe i'm talking my out of my way out of my own apprehension about the movie <laughs> sounds like you like this movie a little bit no yeah the- i turned myself around <laughs> um the the two leads in this movie really bring it to life in a way and help break it out of yeah. the the type of movie that it might easily be described as a sort of you know austere period piece artsy because and especially the the lead um actress joanna kulig is like one of those actors you just, I could not take my eyes off of. Um, and the film mm-hmm. is gorgeously shot and it presents her that way, but everything looks gorgeous in it. So um, it's kind of amazing how much yeah. it does stand out. But um, yeah, performances are great. I think, um, you know, why are we talking about this movie? Well, I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a Polish film. It's most likely going to be up for, uh, you know, like the foreign language Oscars. Um, I think it's one of the big subtitle releases of the year, basically Um, uh, put out by Amazon. And it looks like it's their one real like kind of end of year awards, hopeful movie. Um, Plus this director won uh, an Oscar for his previous film, Ida, which is similarly like shot in this beautiful um, stark black and white photography, that old square kind of frame aspect ratio. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is a film that a lot of people I think um, that are cinephiles that that pay attention to the Oscar race are probably going to be uh, talking about uh, as it slowly opens uh, wider here in the coming weeks. Um, so you know that's why we're bringing it up. That's why it's a film worth like 
seeking out because while it is getting a lot more attention than most of the foreign language releases that do throughout the year, it still has a huge uphill battle. I mean, me and Joe talk, I think, every week off mic about how a lot of the movies we're championing, it can be a lonely place sometimes. You feel like not many people know about these movies. Yet to us, Cold War was like, or, you know, to me was like, we're definitely going to talk about Cold War. This is a major film. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it's just going to be a small little blip. But um, nonetheless, this is one that I think, whatever you're, if, if people have an aversion or they're less likely to go to subtitle films, this is, I think, like just a really great and yeah, epically packed film into 90 minutes it's uh there there is a lot to recommend with this movie yeah and it's 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 one that like i was wrestling with my own like apprehension with the movie i'm like what's what's going on what's happening with me i just had to had to talk to myself through the whole (laughs) through the whole movie and maybe that's important like in terms of like why the, the you get the lonely feeling in discussing movies like this with people who are outside of the echo chamber of critical circles, because you'll you'll mention the title of the movie like oh, I watched this to people who are you know may, maybe not film critics maybe not like super film nerds but they're they appreciate film and they're like what's that and you see the glimmer and you have a window you have a window of time to pitch the movie in a way that's going to entice them. <laughs> yes. Like, Oh, it's a Polish movie about, Oh God. And like, you just see them pull away the glaze go over their eyes. And I think kind of both films we're discussing today have that sort of potential uphill battle for like, in terms of difficulty with audiences, not having an like easy sell, which yeah. we brought up with our top 10 of the year last week. Hard cells are they're kind of our jam, but like there's (laughs) there's a a reason they're hard cells and like why it's not palatable to, you know, most massive movie audiences. Mm -hmm. So with, you know, having discussed Cold War, if you want to pivot gently into the sort of um, the entree of our episode. Well, well, real quick, though, if I could, I just because. (laughs) slow your roll Um, just a little bit more about the film that I I don't know if this is going to help entice people but like yeah I recommend this movie too I think it's I think it's really uh, it's really beautiful piece of work and I really just want to focus a little bit more on what you talked about the way that this is an epic epic story It, it crosses decades and decades of time yet it is all packed into like an 88 minute runtime. I I remembered also I saw it months ago and just feeling like kind of like not put through the ringer. It wasn't like watching like a, an exhausting or difficult, like Gaspar Noé experience. It's something different, but yet also exhausting. And it is a tough sell to audiences because it's a movie that is, um, has no interest in sentimentalizing and trying to warm Mm -hmm. you up. Instead, it just has the confidence to tell what is a really beautiful, but complicated and naughty love story. And, um, uh, while it can be frustrating to watch two people that are so like um, so attracted to each other and you can see why in many ways, but they're so not right for each other and the timing always seems to be off whenever they meet up these two characters in the film. I actually found that something, uh, you know, a lot more original, a lot less. Uh, it's a lot more rare in cinema to, to see that. Um, and I just that's that was one of the things I really took away is like it's it's a beautiful love story that does not have any kind of. 
um, motive to make you feel good about it. And that's actually what I thought was awesome about the experience in, in some ways. Um, beyond the very, like, straightforward, like, just gorgeous uh, aesthetics of the film, too. The, that black and white photography is um, stunning in, on a big screen. But, uh, yeah, I'm just really impressed with, like, the editing and how so much is packed into this film. So much is conveyed in a cinematic way. Um, and yet you've gone through all this time in history. You feel like, you know, these people and, um, it's a, it's a brief running time. I, you know, a lot of stuff that, uh, that I'm very impressed by with this film. Yeah. Without feeling rushed in terms of it's like kind of brief running time. Like yeah. it, it does also sort of days, right? Yeah. It lives in moments and it kind of makes you feel the weight and totality of them. I also think it's important to point out um, your spelling of the word naughty in terms of a naughty love story. Like we're talking about the K N O double T Y naughty, not the naughty by nature. Naughty. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, Correct. Okay. Cause it is that too. Points. (laughs) It is. It is. Um, is Naughty. Yeah. I just, uh, I think this is a really, uh, he, uh, Pavlikowski is a really, uh, I think great, uh, I think he's a young filmmaker. I, I, I don't think Ida was his first film, but it's the first one that kind of put him on the map for me, uh, his previous one. And uh, this one, I think, is even a bigger step forward. And uh, I'm glad it's getting the attention it is. And Amazon's putting it out, as I said before. And I'm, uh, you know, these are the, I'm glad that these movies are being, that somebody's putting them out. And uh, it's another feather in the cap of a company like Amazon willing to like go to bat for this film and hopefully... Um, you know, give it give it some release that it deserves because uh, it is a beautiful theatrical film too. Yeah, it's a feather in its cap. That's right. That's right. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, why don't we why don't we pivot not gently? Let's let's dive right into Destroyer because I feel like that's uh, that's the one that I know you're really itching to talk about um, since it was on your top ten last clearly, week. Clearly, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Clearly, I'm just, I try to jump ahead yeah. too fast, and um, <laughs> so. Destroyer, um, the new film by Karen or Karen, I've heard it pronounced. Yeah, me too. Uh, William Friedkin actually said Karen. Um, so Karen Kusama, her new film after uh, you know one of a movie we like a lot, The Invitation, came out in 2015. Was that and, your um, one movie that year? I believe Chopin Oppen. No, it was not. Huh. But uh, but it's okay. So don't worry about it. It was high um, up. It was high up. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that movie a lot. It really kind of like took me by surprise. And um, so her, her, her follow-up to that movie is like a kind of a big, again, epic crime saga. And this is actually epic in length as well. Um, But it's, it's emotionally epic. It's a crime saga set, you know, a, a lot of which in the inland empire and Los Angeles at large about, uh, uh, the lead character played by Nicole Kidman um, jumps back and forth in her story and in, in time periods where she was an undercover agent infiltrating a group of bank robbers and where she's at currently in present day where she's kind of hardened and obviously a kind of like shell of a exhausted person. And so we're, we're plunging into like what got her to this point. And like the entry point is this murder investigation that sort of ties back to a time where she was infiltrating this, this bank robbery group and the, the two timelines like sort of coincide um, as the movie sort of picks up steam and starts, you know, becoming more and more propulsive 
unpacking her her private life and how how troubled it is with her trying to raise her child and uh and people's kind of overall aversion to her because she is like a weird ghost like presence in the world yeah. she just she's she was this beautiful undercover agent at one point as we're flashing back to and now she's sort of withered and tired and unpleasant for people to be around and how did she get here how did she get to this point of this hardened post-traumatic existence and um i think the the movie is like is is such a a kind of beautiful throwback to crime sagas largely set in southern california that you know you and I have discussed at length and it's 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 just such a such a beautiful homage while still being its own kind of like visionary statement mm-hmm. and um yeah so you you had a chance to catch up with it this last week mm-hmm. correct it's true and <clears throat> you know the the reason for us talking about it now and I didn't get a chance to see it is it's one of these you know, got its little minor release before the year was up so it could qualify for Oscars, but it's only now slowly starting to, to come out. But uh, yeah, this is the third recent release by Annapurna, uh, Megan Ellison's company that's now trying to distribute their own films too. Um, so Beale Street is their other one. And then Vice, uh, the Dick Cheney film. Um, and yeah, I mean, safe to say this is one of our kind of movies in so many ways. Like I... Destroyer is the type of movie that I'm always like so glad when one of these comes along, like genre movie for adults that is, you know, uh, maybe a tough sell. Yeah. In some ways it's right up our alley in that way. And, um, uh, I'm still kind of processing this movie. I actually, uh, uh, only, you know, saw it last week, uh, and haven't had like really talked to anybody since I've seen it. So I'm kind of unpacking it right now with you on mic, but, um, I, I liked a lot about it. And I would say, um, the thing that sort of stood out right away is, uh, two things. Uh, the, the screenplay for this movie proves to be extremely clever. I would say, uh, I really mm-hmm. like the structure of the film. Uh, I don't want to dive into that too much because I think it can be a little bit spoilery, but um, really liked the structure of the film, the way it, it circles back in the end, the way where it goes from, from the beginning to the end and comes uh, lands on that is, is uh, pretty damn strong. And uh, just uh, kind of repeating the, the, the common uh, critical response these days, Nicole Kidman is there anything she can't do? I mean, that's the other takeaway from me. Uh, like right at the top for this film is like, she can do this kind of role. Um, I thought of like Steve Carell and Foxcatcher. you know, she's got a little bit of makeup on her face. She's a, it's, it's definitely has potential to be one of those showy, um, maybe uh-huh. overly mannered sort of actually performances, but it isn't. And it's something different from Nicole Kidman where she seems legitimately, damaged and scary and troubled and i never uh i bought it from the get-go with her in this and um yeah really liked the way the past and the present sort of fought with each other in this movie back and forth the way the timeline uh of the story worked out um so yeah there's a lot to recommend for this movie and i i hope that it isn't sort of uh, left in the dark by audiences because you know with with annapurna trying to distribute their own films like I, it just makes you wonder where their resources are for three films at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, I hope this one's getting the marketing and the attention it deserves. Well, and it's also just like you have a director 
like Karin Kusama, who, uh, you know, she, she kind of made a big splash with her, her first film girl fight, and then got to move on to bigger projects that some of which couldn't really find their legs, not in terms of like their quality necessarily, just in terms of like connecting with a large enough audience, considering the scale of the movies she was making when she made an Aeon flux movie, she made Jennifer's body, which was, um, uh, Diablo Cody script. And so it's just like, there, there were bigger projects that like didn't really land, um, or connect with the size of the audience that the film was attempting to. So she scaled back, you know, and she's working with the same screenwriters she did with the invitation, one of which I believe she's married to. Um, And like just finding the sort of nuts and bolts with a sort of small intimate ensemble, the way she did with the invitation and creating something so tense and so sort of like epic in terms of it's, it's like ability to access like just dread and uh, just like thrills. Like she was, she really got back into like the scaling it down to like the basic bare bones and, and then being able to take that sense of sophistication to a, a, just a broader canvas. Like I think honoring a filmmaker with a vision like that, is really something that Annapurna does extraordinarily well. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they've got like an incredible roster and, but like there is something I was talking to somebody last night um, at a get together where they're like, I saw a destroyer and I was like, Oh yeah. And they're like, yeah, just, I didn't know. What's the point? And I was like, mm. Oh good. Oh good. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> I think because it is, the movie is dire and mm-hmm. gritty and it doesn't give you like an easy answer so it's just like it sort of leaves you it's it, it is ultimately a kind of tragedy mm-hmm. and like you're you're dealing with this this woman who's like kind of constantly investigating what brought her to the hardened place she's at now and really reconciling how to find any sort of redemption and what's worth still fighting for when you were that battered down and that hollowed out. And I think, you know, it, it shares some DNA with our shared number one movie of the year, which was yeah. you were never really here, you know, in terms of like someone being so traumatized and so hollowed out and sort of ghost like that. You're not sure how they're even alive or what they're even living for anymore. Right. And, um, you know, she is kind of wraith-like in this movie. She looks, you know, it is a physical transformation because it's it's hard. I think it's difficult work to make someone who is as effortlessly beautiful yeah. and graceful as Nicole Kidman look ugly. And I know that that's an easy trick for, you know, people. Uh, you got Charlize Theron with Monster. That's the obvious comparison. But, like, uh, you really... I think in the third act of this movie all makeup aside there's an emotional peak that the flashback hits that then transitions into the present day where it's just like i don't know who else could do this besides Mm -hmm. nicole kidman like it shows that she's like every bit not only a movie star but a to the bone marrow actress that she is that she like during like essentially a the heist section of the movie yeah there's two tandem heists, but um, just the, the heist and the flashback, like she, she hits this like level of like volatility. That's like, it, it just like 
cut right through everything for me. And I was yeah. just like, oh shit, here it comes. And I just started crying in the theater. And then like it transitions back to the present day and you find like she's having a, a talk with her daughter it kept going, kept crying. Like I said, you know, we said last episode, it's not really special for us crying anymore. Eric <laughs> and I are crying quite a bit these days. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like this movie really hits an emotional resonance and it's, it's, it's all a lot to do with the, the writing, the acting, the atmosphere of the film, like mm-hmm. just everything sort of harmonized in this, this way in a type of film that's kind of largely missing from the cinematic map these days, yep. you know? Yep. And it's, and it's, a, it's a type of movie that you think audiences would want, you know, the crime genre. It's not, it's not like, right. Uh, it's just, it's, it's tone that makes it maybe a tougher sell for people. I don't, I don't know. I don't want to assume anything cause it is a good movie and I want people to see it. Um, but it seems like most of the heat around it is this Nicole Kidman performance in the sort of culture at large at this moment. Um, so, yeah. you know, whatever. Okay. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot, uh, th- again, I'm still like unpacking this movie, uh, as I said, but that scene you reference is a really special one. The, it's like a diner scene that has elements of, there's a lot of this movie that feels like Michael Mann homage in some ways mm-hmm. that's, that's been brought up by other critics too. Um, but it's even more than that. It is just sort of a California noir picture in many ways, uh, yeah. a modern noir. And um, as such, I think it finds a lot of um, its own peaks, its own wavelength that works so well for it is in its uh, function as a character study and using all those elements I love of the crime genre. You know, you got heists in this picture, you got cops, you got bad guys, you got drugs, you got the whole milieu is there. Um, but it, it tries to actually portray like how like in, in movies there's cliche characters where like there's the grizzled cop. That's an asshole. You know, there's the Nicole Kidman character in the present day sections of this movie is sort of a type of character that has been a cliche for a long time. But what's so great about this not movie, typically a woman though. That's yeah. true. That's like, true. It's typically a, a man who's just exhausted. And you're like, ah, he's, He's a hard nosed, whatever. Like people aren't saying that in the movie. They're usually saying that in the description of the movie. Right. Look no. at him. He's a hard nosed cop. You're tr- you're you're absolutely right. So right there, you get something that's original. But you know, the movie um, also like has more than just that subversion or that role switch. And I think it's it's function as a character study really makes it stand out in this in this genre of films. And um, yeah, I mean. There, there are moments that are so like thrilling. I, I would say I was not personally like I was kind of I never was moved to tears in this film. I kind of wanted to have that experience you did, but I didn't see it in theaters either. And I'm thinking if I could really get absorbed when it does come to to theaters in Portland, um, I'm hoping to be moved that way. But I was just really thrilled and then impressed by a, a lot of the filmmaking of it um, for, for this first viewing. Yeah, it's um just in terms of like the 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 pantheon that it sort of belongs to you know you mentioned michael mann like in in his work like heat and thief um especially heat because Heat takes place in los angeles but um karen kusama programmed uh a series of movies here that were sort of in line as la noirs Mm -hmm. um she picked detour and cutter's way and to live and die in la which like uh, it's a William Friedkin movie. Yes. But like 
you know, we, t- we talked about, I think, you know, at, at some point in discussing one or the other of Michael Mann or William Freak and how much those two filmmakers kind of circled each other in terms of like, yeah, I think Michael Mann was most likely influenced by a lot of the things that William Freakin did, um, you know, in terms of like using Tangerine Dream and Sorcerer and then Michael Mann used them on Thief and like uh, William Peterson being cast in To Live and Die in L.A. and then him being cast in Manhunter by right. Michael Mann. But like so I think that they're close enough that choosing a movie like To Live and Die in L.A., which is so like distinctly LA and so just like washed and the colors of Southern California and the sort of feel and, and a, a kind of underrepresented grit at that point, especially in like the mid eighties where it was like, it was all sort of neon. And like, this was like, Hey, it's actually really fucked up down here too. And <laughs> so like that's destroyer is kind of honing in on that level of kind of grit, especially in the sort of sun bleached inland empire sections where she goes to like Palm Springs yes. and sort of out in that sort of stretch of expansiveness. That's all kind of exhausted looking and, and sort of like a, and, and dire feeling the landscape like so, matches her face, you know, it's so sun bleached. Like her face yeah. has just been, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Burned by the Chapped sun. And exhausted. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. Those, those so makeup like moves are really impressive in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, and the, just like the you like when she's youthful in that section where she's an undercover agent, you're just like, oh, oh yeah, she's gorgeous, like she's unbelievably beautiful. So it's like it's no one, and to see the toll years take on this particular character, hmm. it's not just a sort of trick of like let's make Nicole Kidman look not like Nicole Kidman, and right. you know, like let's give Steve Carell a f- the fucked up nose for Foxcatcher, you know, like. It's it's like it, she matches the level of kind of like transformation with her performance. I mean, they're drastically different people who like this person has been through the ringer and comes out the other end a ghost of themselves. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think that that's another pr- possible complaint. Another way the movie is a hard sell is that she's not an easy person to be around. Right. And like for you and I, that's interesting. Cause it's like, all right, how did this person get here? What's the journey that it took to get them there? Like what is still redeemable about them? Like that's, these are all impulses and questions that like are provocative to us. But I think people like, you know, a lot of times now they just want it to be moralistically clear. Like right. I just want to be able to identify with this. This is the right person and I want them to continue being right. And like, that's it. It's clean. And it's just like, that's, I think it's the, in that way, it's kind of a tough sell, but that's exactly why it's an exciting and engaging. And ultimately to me, a very rewarding experience, like watching this person's trajectory. Yeah, well, and it's it's an interesting time where um, this movie checks off a lot of boxes that are zeitgeist uh, focused right now, or the zeitgeist is focused on. But it's it's interesting. Um, I think of another movie uh, we praised from last year, Annihilation, where there's a lot of things with both movies that you could be like, hey, female director uh, for Destroyer, uh, gritty, strong female lead performance by Nicole Kidman doing a role that's typically done by men in a, in a, in a male dominated genre. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's, I do think on a sort of larger scale, it is interesting to view how little the culture seems to have, um, 
how how little like room it has for films like this where we're in an era where these kind of movies are being demanded to be made but people still want um you know, I hate to disparage a movie I haven't seen. They still want like the Ocean's 8 version of that, the sort of like fun poppy right. subversion or hey, women are playing the roles now, right? But like Destroyer does all that, but also sets out to challenge you or also like do more than just uh be a very morally simple uh or, you know, reinforcing how the audience already feels. It's it's it does so much more than that. And uh, I think that's why we champion these movies, um, whether they're with like, you know, whether they have these elements or not, like, of course that's important. We, I want to see Karen Kusama and more female directors do this because you were never really here as a, as an, as a great example, female director where she brought in a different perspective to that film, but I don't think we'd be championing that one or, uh, you know, praising Destroyer as opposed to talking about like Ocean's 8 and stuff like that. We don't really talk about those movies because we'd rather see these kind of movies get made. And I don't know. I just think it's kind of interesting to view how like little the culture seems to want that still. In the end, it's like um, we're trying to move the needle forward, make things more even and balanced for everybody. But yet, like only within this kind of certain box of like what movies should be for the culture. Um, and I, I, would love to see more adventurous <laughs> movie going, you know, from people like I, I, cause yeah. these are the movies that are like really worth getting excited about. This one resonates. This one I think will last and, and still be great 20 years from now. Um, as opposed to a lot of the zeitgeist heavy movies. Well, it's also interesting. I went to go see, uh, the screening of to live and die at LA where she, uh, interviewed William Friedkin afterwards and she loves that movie, loves like what he does with it. But there is, and as like, I think that movie kind of found its audience after the fact. Uh-huh. It sort of, you know, was in an era where that was possible with like video being, you know, a way for a movie to get like popular if it didn't do well theatrically. I think it did fine theatrically, but I think it, it found its sort of unique niche. But like, it also, like, it features a protagonist that is entirely unlikable and like that really connected with me this time i was like wow that william freaking or uh, william peterson rather like the main character like he's an asshole like yeah. through and through like he's terrible to like what's considered his love interest in the oh, movie man. and yeah, yeah. like and the duality between like the villain actually demonstrating you know played by Willem defoe like he demonstrates you know while being a cold-blooded killer at times like he's decent in other regards, like he's fair in a way that uh, William Peterson's character isn't. Mm-hmm. And it's just like the sort of overlap and like the, uh, maybe there's, there's also like a double standard of like, since men have largely been anti-heroes in these kind of grizzled stylistic genre movies, like you have a, a woman who's like, you know, people argue that she's not likable. She's not easy to sit with, but like, it's it's similarly kind of like difficult and challenging in terms of like having an anti-hero at the helm of it but it's not just a matter of plugging a woman into what's traditionally been in genre of films a, a man's role right. it's distinctly feminine like mm-hmm. there is something that she accesses especially like later on in the film like 
in terms of her struggle to be maternal and to care for her daughter, which is like such a rot and like troubling dynamic in the film. Like you just feel for both sides of like the mother daughter dynamic, Mm -hmm. which was a, you know, it's a big, big dynamic that got explored in the AFI films I saw this year, but like um, of which destroyer was one of them. Mm. But like there's there, it's not just a matter of plugging Nicole Kidman into what has traditionally been a, a, a cop role that's dominated by men like that she both the the writer director and actor have like found like what makes this distinctly feminine and like what um is sort of like interesting and alive in that exploration yeah and yeah it's like i don't know like being these are uncomfortable times like we can learn from our discomfort watching a character we don't necessarily identify with and following her struggle yeah. And her, her, you know, yeah. Well, and More still, crime movies. Yes, please. Yes. Well, and still be entertained just in it. It's another way of being entertained and still yeah. be moved and all that. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I think, um, I, and you know, another sort of movie and, and, uh, directorial style that I've really felt with this, uh, with destroyer is actually point break, uh, and a little bit of mm-hmm. Kath- Catherine Bigelow, um, some of the similarities I felt in terms of uh, these are female directors doing very typical male action oriented genres, but like it's the subtle right. ways, it's the subtle ways that Kusama like Bigelow in those films um, just, just uh, changes perspective, frames shots differently, focuses on different character beats because um, what's really interesting as I think back on Destroyer is how little sh- interest she seems to have in the villain of the film. Uh, it's, yeah. It's played by Toby Kebble, and he is this specter sort of hanging over the film always. He's this character that she is not done with, and we know enough that he, you know, bad things happened in the past with her and this guy, and he's responsible in some ways, and she's out to get him. Um, but we we don't explore in the way that, say, Michael Mann has, that sort of dynamic of of cop versus criminal it's less of a two yeah. sides of the same coin thing, or even to live and die in LA. Maybe that's uh, something that feels that is distinctly sort of feminine or just distinctly Karen Kusama's perspective, you know, is that that's what yeah. she is breathing into this movie that I find interesting because, um, you know, think of scenes in heat, which is, has an extra hour of runtime. It's three hours to this movie's two only has a few scenes that can, that can really detail the mother daughter dynamic um, between Natalie Portman and Al Pacino's um, sort of like about to be ex-wife in the story, you know, like this movie has more detailed scenes that gets at that dynamic. And I feel like that's the stuff that Kusama really leans in and successfully like um, brings into a familiar genre that really makes it stand out in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, yeah, I I definitely couldn't help, but feel like this is like a really, um, artsy is not the right word, but maybe a little bit more serious, less action film style, but very similar in many ways to me to like point break, uh, except she just focuses on even different things to her. Uh, uh, and I, I, I'm, I really appreciate that for sure. Well, yeah. And I think that like in, in addition to sort of being more of, uh, a harrowing drama than it is necessarily a conventional thriller. There are elements of it that are genuinely thrilling. Like there is like high sections oh, man. and there's a, a, a foot chase. There's a couple foot chases in destroyer that like are, are, are pretty like 
sort of echo back to the films that obviously influenced her. Like there's a great foot chase in to live and die in LA where, you know, this exchange happens where mm-hmm. he's like, why, why are you chasing me? Why are you running? Cause you're chasing me. It's just like, <laughs> wow, that's, that's such a great, perfect exchange. But like you look at a movie like point break, which I'm glad you brought up. And it's just like, regardless of what, you know, having a woman director, brings that's you know like new and kind of electrically charged to a traditionally male dominant genre like what what she did was so groundbreaking like it the foot chase and point break is one of i think the best executed action scenes ever yeah honestly it's just like to have it be novel that we're still discussing like oh like women directors like of like which we should be at a point where it's like of course women directors because one of the best some of the best executed action sequences have been from a woman director Catherine Bigelow like mm-hmm. in point break so it's just like it's not nov- like it is novel unfortunately like as as something that like we we should be striving to make more normal mm-hmm. but like it these are just the points where it's just like yeah some of the best examples of the genre are brought by what is still you know, a, a limited group of filmmakers. Yeah. You know, the, the foot chase in destroyer that's so memorable is like when they're, they're running up like the LA Hills basically. Right. Like at one yeah, point, like by Dodger stadium in Elysian park. Oh, you get that beautiful shot when they kind of reach the top. But what's so great about that foot chase is it does something. Most movies don't do is it shows how fucking exhausted you would be from running constantly. So I like that there's, there's just, and yeah. that's such a simple thing, but that's, a, I think that's a really, uh, really clever, uh, interesting thing that Kusama focuses on is like, they are winded to say the least by the end of this chase. And it, it makes it end in a way that it you wouldn't expect for a typical sort of foot chase action scene. Um, yeah, there, there's a lot um, of little clever subversions. What were you going to say? What initially in sort of like putting this episode together when we were initially going to discuss it, had you been able to see it earlier, I wanted to discuss a Don Johnson film from the late eighties oh, called dead bang about an alcoholic police detective investigating a cop's murder that uncovers a sort of like doorway into white supremacy in the late eighties. And he's like a grizzled, exhausted, divorced Burbank detective. He, there's a foot chase in that movie that like, if we were given a chance to do a hold up on it, like, yeah. you know, I would talk about the movie at large, but this chase in particular, he's hung over. He eventually apprehends the suspect and in trying to like handcuff him gets like bleary eyed and vomits on the back of him. And I was like, that's that that's whether real. or not Karin Kusama has seen dead bang or whether it was an influence or not. I feel like they complement each other beautifully. Mm. Yeah. In that sense. Um, another great little noirish element of this film is just the increasing amount of uh, uh, like how beat up Nicole Kidman goes in the present time. You just like, you yeah. just feel it and where it lands in the end is just like oh man i kind of forgot about all the fucking abuse she took (laughs) this whole movie um yeah uh, i thought that was pretty impressive they're just sort of thinking of random moments that i really really liked that one of the high scenes has this gorgeous slow motion shot of a um a die pack exploding in a bag of money um that Mm -hmm. purple 
die pack explosion in slow-mo beautiful beautiful little moment in the film and talk about like a release of tension that is not a good thing you know like it's it's like the op it's it's like a bad release of tension because you know some really nasty shits or you know bad stuff is going to happen after that happens in the movie um well yeah hearing hearing the work on the audience that i saw it with where it's like it pops and you watch the sort of like slow motion cloud of it like bursting into the sort of dry palm spring sky and you hear everybody go oh because you know it's about to set forth a trajectory of like awful shit mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. I, yeah, I also really like, liked how the insight that that incident leads to the big that's the big incident from her past that we really get this culmination and i actually really liked how um downplayed it is. I'm just trying to dance around it without being specific. It's not done like a big dramatic, like, no, you know, there's none of that cheese ball in this. Like Kusama really does. And I think the invitation is a, is an, is an, an additional element or additional proof of this, of her style. Like she, uh, what I really like about her genre films is I can't think of her descending into cheesy bullshit like that. She, she avoids the cliches and instead mm-hmm. really like, takes it seriously in a way that I think a lot of the best crime films do take the subject matter. Like they can be fun. They can be entertaining. I'm not opposed to that, but uh, I like a degree of seriousness with the material. Um, and she's uh, definitely a new evolution. I think uh, in that uh, for sure. But yeah, that, that, that slow motion die pack scene, man, that, that is incredible. It definitely beats Dennis Hopper in speed, you know, getting lit up with, with paint. So I prefer it to that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I don't know. Just, just random observations, uh, I'm getting to at this point. So I don't, I don't know what you think if we, uh, maybe we're at a good place, a good point to wrap it up or not. But, um, what do you think, man? This is a good point break. Good point break to wrap up. Let's do it. All right. Get your guns, fire them into the air while screaming. No, uh, because the homoerotic love of your life is running away in his, uh, Ronald Reagan mask. It's a sad Mm -hmm. time. That's yeah. There's, there's the there's some overlap there between Point Break and Destroyer. Oh yes, it's not homoerotic necessarily in Destroyer, but uh, you know, it's true. Great, there's so many great pairings that you could do with Destroyer. So like, not only are we recommending you see it in a theater, but like you know, follow up with some good Southern California noir afterwards with To Live and Die in L.A. That's with Point Break, one, possibly, mm-hmm. with Dead Bang, which I heartily recommend. Mm. So it's a real un, un, under, like a, a kind of overlooked gem for me. We should keep um, that one in your pocket yeah. for a hold up uh, that fits later on because uh, I'm into it. Sounds like a cool film. I've never seen it. Yeah. So just chill to the next episode. All right, cool. Well, uh, let's wrap up episode 195 of Adjust Your Tracking. Uh, You can, again, find all of our episodes and those of our other shows on your podcatcher of choice. Just look up the Playlist Podcast Network. You can also find us and our other shows at theplaylist.net. Email us at adjustyourtracking at gmail.com if you want to talk to us. Um, Thank you uh, for another great year, listeners, uh, as we do officially step into 2019. Uh, I'm looking forward to diving into some smaller releases I think we have coming up. Uh, And, you know, this can be an interesting time for me and Joe to really try to, like, champion even much, much smaller films that are way more challenging or, you know, have way more of an uphill climb, I think, to get attention uh, than something even like Destroyer or Cold War. So... Uh, look out for that and we'll be very thankful if you keep listening to us 
But uh, I just got to thank one person and one person only, and that is you, Joe Von Oppen. Thanks for talking with me today. Thanks, Eric.